0: I've got a real treat for you on the morning show. Now, I know Australians have been watching the progress of Cyclone Hamish with bated breath for the last few days. Touchword appears to be weakening and the threat diminishing. But 65 years ago, it could have been a cyclone that saved Fremantle from a wartime attack. And one of the few people in a position to know about the threat was Sergeant June Judges, then serving at the Flying Training School in Cunderdon. Her job was to decipher coded messages. She's now Mrs. June Markham and in her 80s, but a woman with very vivid memories of the time. June, hello to you.
1: Oh, good morning, Geoff.
0: It's lovely to have you here, June. I want you to take me back to the evening of the 8th of March, 1944. I understand you just listened to a a lovely concert. A
1: wonderful concert with uh, Philip Hargraves. Yes. He was one of the leading young uh, classical musicians In Australia at the time, so you you were having the air force grabbed him.
0: Yeah, so you were having a nice night, but then all of a sudden your evening changed. Yes,
1: quarter past ten to half past ten, we were all leaving the drill hall, and the C.O. called me to go down to the signals office to decode a message, and I reminded him that it was a no decode message, which meant that nobody other than a commissioned officer should decode it. And I was only a sergeant, but he said, "I don't do this cipher. You will have to do it."
0: Tell me what that message was.
1: Well, it was one of the biggest shocks that I've ever had in my life, because as the uh, decoding took place, it was saying that a task force had left uh, the northern waters of Japan of uh, Singapore, yes, and was heading to the waters above Australia, and that. Cunderdon was to immediately be turned into a, an operational base. And from that time, which was then by about 11 o'clock, the word got through to Nungaran, yes. where the big dumps are, where they have all the explosives. The army kept that. And by the morning, we had truckload after truckload of ammunition and fuel on its way to uh, meet the Liberators, who were the 24s, do you know the bomber? Yes, yes. They were coming over from Queensland.
0: This was to be the start of three extraordinary days for absolutely, you, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Do
0: you remember feeling fearful on the, the the speculation that the Japanese fleet might in fact be heading for Fremantle?
1: Well, what made me feel very bad about it was the fact that the last raid on Darwin was the November forty three. Then the broom one in the February forty four, hmm. and here they were March forty four, determined to come back towards Australia.
0: What did they want at Fremantle? What was the target at well, Fremantle? Well, they
1: must have heard that Admiral Nimitz, who was the supreme commander in the in the Pacific, he had one of the. Um, Admiral Christie yes. was two and a half years in Fremantle, looking after the um, congregation of, of uh, subs yes. and warships that came into Fremantle.
0: Can you and- give me a, a? I'm sorry to interrupt. Give me a little bit of context. It was your job uh, to decipher codes. Yeah. I would imagine the kind of things you were deciphering was not quite on the scale of this one.
1: Well, it was. It was so um, bewildering because we couldn't believe that they were really going to attempt to come down the West Australian coast. And, of course, every signal that came in was further instructions uh, telling us what was happening at Fremantle, and it was one of the biggest concentration of uh, warfare Mm. in the way of Navy uh, and the British submarines plus the American submarines. And it was all concentrated on Fremantle
0: so the uh, I guess they had to you know there had to be a contingency plan and a a, a quick reaction you must have just been overwhelmed by this the scale of, of the decision making that was going on going in that time. on
1: yes and and I was looking for help and and these other cipher assistants were stuck in Melbourne and they couldn't get over so I was just one signal after another. But at the time, the um, idea was that Cunderdon was the most important part of this project that was going on. Because the um, liberators could go to the uh, satellite drone. Yes. Cunderdon um, had these long runways that could take bombers. And it was a satellite drone to pierce.
0: Hey, Joan. Did you feel a bit sick?
1: No, I was Or did you too, just feel the
0: responsibility I so was keenly? I too busy, too, Were
1: far too busy to even think about it. And then every now and again, they'd come with a car and take me up to the hospital and I would try and get a, a half an hour's sleep just to sort of freshen my brain up again.
0: Because you, you knew this important piece of information a long time, obviously, before the general population would. You'd know people... In Fremantle.
1: The the general population didn't know what was going on because I think that they tried to keep it quiet so that the Japanese wouldn't know uh, just what was going on. And prior to that, the army had spread from Fremantle right up the West Australian coast inland to to keep um, a supply of soldiers in readiness in case there was ever... An invasion.
0: At 13 minutes to 12, you're listening to Sergeant June Judges. I'd prefer to call you Sergeant June Judges than June Markham because it was 65 years ago.
1: Yesterday.
0: That you had this incredible experience. Now, we can cut to the chase because there'll be lots of people out there going, I don't remember the Japanese fleet arriving. What was the only reason that they didn't arrive, do you think? Or what was the main reason?
1: Well, we found out 39 years later that it was because Admiral Christie had sent 10 of his submarines right out into the Indian Ocean and they were the uh, forward um, marching orders, I suppose, to wait for this fleet to come from Singapore, the task force. And because of that, we knew that there had to be something that was going to uh, cause some sort of confrontation. Other than that, the um, where was it? Um, out from not Exmouth, but further up from there. Yes. Where the uh, Americans had their big satellite uh, uh, communications yes. place, and out from there was where the the first submarine went right up, and the weather changed, and. This cyclone, which often comes in March, came across the the north of Australia and scattered that fleet of of, uh, task force ships.
0: When were you told that the threat was done with, that the threat was over?
1: Three days.
0: How did you respond to that?
1: Absolutely. um, I couldn't believe that I'd gone through such a a harrowing time uh, and not felt... Terribly ill about it. I yeah. just felt that
0: you felt composed.
1: this was my story. Yeah. That I had been the lucky one to have been able to decipher that message because a lot of my friends in headquarters, who I spoke to later, they said we didn't see anything because it was an officer. Yes. An officer's. Uh,
0: they were the only signal. ones who. Yes. Now, you probably needed a bit of a spell after that. Did you have a decent sleep after it was all over? <laughs>
1: The CEO sent me home on a week's leave. Yeah. But then I just recorded what I'd done. Yes. And kept that in my filing cabinet.
0: And it's fantastic that you did because the impression I get when reading about this story is that there have been long periods where there's been no acknowledgement. That's right. That this event was, was, was perhaps really going to happen. Happened. Was that it, frustrating for you?
1: Absolutely. But every now and again I'd meet up with somebody and they'd say, no, we, we can't tell you, there's no, no nothing at all. And, of course, it, that went on and you wouldn't believe the 39 years. You had
0: to wait that long. Yes. Where, when did the acknowledgement come?
1: That was when Admiral Christie came back to visit and Hugh Smith from the West Australian yeah. interviewed him and he told the same story that I had already written. and and had published in a couple of small magazines and Air Force uh, uh, papers. And he... Oh, I I just... That was the biggest feeling over the whole thing that I'd ever had. Did
0: you feel not believed or or did people just... Yes, yes.
1: And that's why my husband and I just kept relegating this story to my filing cabinet. But once Admiral Christie had come... I was so elated to think that everything was authentic.
0: I'm delighted. That... I'm, I'm really delighted that you're in here today able to tell this story. What do you think your strongest memory is 65 years ago today? And what are you most proud of? Is it the fact that, that the young Sergeant June Judges held her nerve rather well?
1: Yes, I could say that because uh, a lot of people um, from Cunderdon Air Force Base often pass the comment, you know. How on earth did you do it for three days? And then, of course, it was about two days after the the, uh, flap was over that these uh, uh, people arrived from Melbourne. And then the liberators didn't come. They went straight through to the north, and eventually they were stationed at Cunderdon, And because of being stationed at Cunderdon, they um, were able to do their sorties out to the Indian Ocean and uh, got quite a lot of the Japanese cargo shipping.
0: Well, I think it's a delight. It's important that you kept the story alive. I'm a little sorry you had to wait so long to tell it, but uh, June Markham, it's been a delight to have you in the studio. And I, I think the rest of us can only imagine uh, what the 65th anniversary of those three days feels like to you. I
1: feel as if I'm living them over again at the moment and it's just wonderful.
0: Well it is and thank you very much for coming in today.
1: Thank you Jeff.
0: That's June Markham with a fantastic story to tell and that's what we like to do on this program. If you've got good stories to tell, tell them here.